What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Crossover Commerce coming at you again here on episode... 54. I'm Ryan Kramer, your host of this show, and this is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. The account with us actually enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving make and making international payments all in one platform to help them save time and money. If you have more information, if you want more information or if you want to find out more about ping pong, go ahead and click those links below in the descriptions on social media. Uh, again, thanks for joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Or if you're watching or if you're watching us there, or if you're listening to us on Amazon music, Spotify, Apple, or Google podcasts, really anywhere where you are, uh, can get podcasts. Thanks for joining us and listening to us there. Uh, but go ahead and do me a favor. Go ahead and rank this episode or our podcast and like those in the comments below on social media. Um, basically sharing this show, obviously with everyone in your circle, we go to live about four to five times a week, sharing different nuggets on the e-commerce and Amazon space. So we'd appreciate you spreading the word so we can get that information out to aspiring Amazon sellers as well as e-commerce uh, sellers as well. So again, thank you for uh, joining us today. If you have a question, go ahead and put those in the comments below. We'll see those live in real time. Uh, our guests and I will be able to look at them, comment on them, and uh, give some insight as well. So again, if you can't catch us live, make sure that you save those episodes for a later time and tag us in those comments um, with your thoughts. But today, I'm really excited about my guests because there's not another company out there that's providing more buzz in the Amazon space than what this company is uh providing right now. If you say their name, it's almost like uh, an icon in the space for the Amazon e-commerce space. Uh, I know they're early in their their infancy, I should say, but it's really exciting what they're doing. Um, of course, when I say the name, I mean Thrasio. So Thrasio actually is a digital consumer goods company. Uh, it's the largest global acquirer of Amazon FBA brands in the world right now. By acquiring nearly, nearly 100 top-rated brands and managing the scale of nearly 14,000 category leading products. Those, uh, their brands are more profitable, grow faster, and outperform almost every other seller in Amazon. But our guest today, we're going to kind of go into his story and kind of how he transitioned from FBA seller to uh, acquirer now. So after 10 years of supporting Fortune 500 companies and uh, FTSE 100 leaders executing transformation in their organizations, he had a first child and decided uh, he, to move to Europe, uh, Europe's wind sports capital uh, in southern Spain. <laughs> he he met uh, the 10-time world champion kite surfer, where he decided to build the world's first kite surfer academy. And in six in a 6,000 square foot unit, he had built just 100 meters from the beach. Uh, in 2013, so that's a really cool background. Uh, in 2013, he learned about the Amazon FBA model and launched a brand that quickly reached to seven figures. And fast forward to 2021, he is currently working with Thrasio as director of acquisitions. So we'll make sure that we we paint the picture in between there 
the leading acquirer of investor in America, Amazon and e-commerce brands. Again, welcome to the show, Jim Mann of Thrasio. Jim, thanks for joining us here on Crossover Commerce. Hey, Ryan, that was a mouthful. Sorry, we'll just give you a shorter intro next time. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. I, the, the intros the intros are we're just words we put on a paper, but it's what we do with them, obviously, that kind of paint the picture. So we're going to kind of unveil it. I appreciate your time today. You're a busy, busy guy. So uh, I know this is something we put together back in December, but um, kind of for those of for people who may not know who Thrasio is, which I highly doubt it, but if they don't know who Thrasio is or who you are, can you give us kind of a quick introduction of who you are as a person, who you are as a business person. Let's walk us through that 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 background cool. story for yourself. Well, at Thrasio um, has a very simple model. We borrow money from private equity. We look for uh, Amazon or e-commerce businesses that have the ability to aggressively scale. Uh, we work with entrepreneurs who've got to a point where they feel they probably don't want to or don't have the capability to scale and release the potential of that brand. We take over the brand, we put unlimited resources of cash and team behind it and uh, deliver the potential in the brand. And in doing so, we deliver great earnouts for our sellers. And um, that's it. It's very simple. Borrow money. <laughs> so easy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ideas are simple, right? The execution is where it gets tricky. So, um, and that's where Thrasio is brilliant, is the execution. That's awesome. So you as a person, maybe this will transition to who Thrasio is and kind of where you fit in their their model. What so you as a individual and entrepreneur, you started selling, I guess, in your bio back in 2014. That's what I read, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, awesome. I, yeah. Like many people, uh, I came across this course called The Amazing Selling Machine. Um, yeah. Matt and Jason, they gave you over the shoulder color by numbers. You know, this is how you pick a product, this is how you source it, these are the criteria, and like a little parrot, I followed the set. <laughs> Stuck it up on Amazon and it sold. And I thought, oh, this is real. And just that was it. That was the beginning of the Amazon journey for me. So you were in you're in Europe at the time when you saw all this, correct? I was in I was in uh, I was in Spain, um, but I launched in the US. Uh, you know, we again the program said US is the biggest market, start mm -hmm. there. And so we did that. And then later on we then came across to Europe and hit EU five. Um, gotcha. in, in the US to start with. So you did you did third party from the get go, correct? You yeah, did it as a private label. Okay. Yeah, private label day one. Okay, so what what made you decide to go into private label instead of doing like dip your toes in for like ar arbitrage or any sort of like reseller or branded goods or or I should say licensed goods? What made you decide to go straight into private label? Because it was very clear from day one that when you create a brand, you own that brand. So if you can build a sales volume, you get to the point where you can actually sell the IP that goes with that sales volume. If you're distributing for somebody else, you never own the IP, so you may be able to sell the revenue of your distribution, but you can never sell it for the same multiples you can when you own that IP. And the IP is really, you know, so it's just a trademark. So it's quite a simple thing to do. You know, you register a trademark, you find a differentiated product, you launch it, you SEO it, and and, and, and the rest, you know, it's, it's uh, it takes care of itself. So if you're an Amazon seller, your your tips to get started, say, go to private label, no questions, hands down. This is how you can become most profitable, even though it might not yield the quickest results. This is how you're going to be profitable uh, long term. Is that what you would probably suggest to somebody? I think if you, you know, if you begin with the end in mind, it depends what you want to achieve. Um, launching your own brand is probably harder. But if your end goal is to have an exit, you're going to have a more lucrative exit if you own the brand and it's your own private label brand. 
Absolutely. I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I know a lot of people are always tentative to even start on Amazon, um, especially since it seems like overcrowded if you makes if that that term actually makes sense. But mm-hmm. when when you're telling people to get started, you guys work with more seasoned uh, sellers, but when you were first starting, you, you learned on that amazing selling machine course. What mm-hmm. what kind of uh where are you telling sellers or like your company is, is still trying to grow at the times? Where are you guys going for more information, how to sell correctly? Or are you guys just, uh, are you leaning on just information out that you guys came across like as expertise um, in the field since you were a seller? Yeah, I, I think, so if you're asking for Thrasio, we're a very different proposition now to a typical private. Right. Thrasio, we have a hundred brands under management. We have a data team of 70 people. Uh, so we are becoming a massively data-driven organization. Right. Um, you know, we probably know as much about the algorithm, whether it be the, <laughs> the, uh, as anyone else in Amazon right now, and that de-risks a lot of our decisions. So the bigger we get, the better the decisions we make because of the volume of data we have coming in. So we're very lucky we have that kind of critical mass um, as right. an organization. Coming out yeah, of that, uh, yeah. if, if you're someone who's thinking about getting into private label, um, you know, it's finding the niche within the niche. When I started, you could literally go and pick off the top 100 best selling list and take on, you know, the best sellers in the top 100. Now, you know, unless you've got a 50, 100 grand launch budget, even then, you've got to have very high skills to, to try and enter at that level. So, you know, the niche within the niche is what I say get really deep into the undergrowth of something right. you really understand and then find the little ways to differentiate and start there. And then You've got a good chance of success and cutting your teeth. And what you want is on your first product or your second product to get that experience and get that success. And then from there, you can build a business. Maybe yeah. you can get success at the beginning. Absolutely. You sound like, uh, so I used to work with Casey Goss, who is a VP over there at Thrasio. Yeah. So I, him, uh, he would always preach the same thing of follow the data. And I think that's another thing is if you're, uh, when I heard it actually at the Seven Figure Seller Summit, which you guys are a sponsor of, I I heard that don't be this phrase makes sense to me because don't be uh when, when it comes to data do not do not shy away from it embrace it because data is always going to point in the right direction uh it's not going to steer you it's going to show you trends it's going to show you which products to get into it's going to show you how to become profitable so always yeah. to consume the data and make sure that you follow it and, and I think that was, that's always been the case with Amazon is people would rather go with their gut most often than not, or they think like, Hey, a brand will work or this product will sell because I want to buy it. But that's not always the case. You have to know that the market exists first and then go from there. Would you agree with that sentiment? I think the highest failure rates are where the people go for their passion products. You know, <laughs> I love it. So everyone's going to love it. And normally they're hot products. You know, everyone's talking about it. It's the products you want to talk to your friends about when you go out for a drink. Those are normally the high failure rate products. You know, the, the guys that build really solid brands are often doing stuff that you and I would find incredibly boring. It's everything, right. sexy. Uh, you're almost ashamed, and when people ask what you do, you're kind of like embarrassed to say what you do at the beginning because it's so uncool. <laughs> those are the guys that build great businesses. You know, the people uh, doing the stuff that everyone's talking about are the ones that are either exceptionally good marketers already, or they have a very high failure rate. I was going to say, did you, when you were a seller and be honest with us, did you start with following your passion or did you sell with, you know, with data in mind? 
Look, I did a bit of both, and it was easier when I started. The competition right. ran now brutal compared to 2013. So it's not, mm -hmm. we're not comparing apples with apples, but I did follow the process and I brought in my experience. So when I was living in Spain, I had the kite school. We also had a, a multi-brand outdoor, life, outdoor lifestyle store selling brands like Patagonia and North Face. And so I used to go and see all the collections from these outdoor brands. And a byproduct of that was I geeked out on textiles and zippers and you know, and I was passionate about traveling. So, you know, the natural thing for me was to go into geek and travel gear. So that's that's what I did. So I found my passion, but I made sure it stayed within the guardrails of the process to follow. And, you know, that that was luckily for me worked at the time. Right. So your brand followed that outdoor, outdoor lifestyle brand. Uh, so back in 2014, we always call it the Wild West. So anything can be done. Like you had all these different strategies to gain, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> ranking tech uh, techniques and then, um, you know, obviously ranking the top of page one and making sure your goods were listed correctly. What do you think has changed the most in your time as a seller uh, to now? Like, what's the most, what part of Amazon has changed the most in your mind? Oh, man, there's lots of answers to that. I'm trying to scribble some notes. That I yeah. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. I, I know that's a broad topic, it's but. A broad one. So um, I would say professionalization uh, within the, 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 you have to, so PPC is a massive pillar of performance now on Amazon. Okay, so Amazon are releasing new uh, ad types all the time. And as the platform becomes more competitive, bids are getting more expensive. And so if you fail on PPC, you pretty much fail in your business. So if you're not great at PPC, you, you've got very little chance of success. Um, right. I think also one of the big trends is, you know, the sort of commoditization of products. So you've got premium brand with a story and point of differentiation versus commoditized direct from China price-driven products. So I would say if you're trying to get into Amazon now, try and find a niche where you can be a premium price, premium brand, premium story, and you have to be a much more skilled marketer. Um, because if you, you do not want to go into the, the kind of commoditized products that the Chinese are going to win on every time just because you know they've got very skilled teams very cheap, you know, uh, labor force, very skilled Amazon operators, and incredibly cheap cost of goods. So it's hard to compete in that commoditized pr uh, price range. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so commoditizing premium, pay-per-click's massive, um, and then data, you know, just being really, marketers off Amazon are always split testing copies, split testing images, and you've got to be doing that on Amazon now, you know? Um, so I just think there's a whole new level of professionalism as an Amazon operator that wasn't there three, four, five years ago. And it's getting more and more uh, that way. You know, Absolutely. I guess in, the, in that light, is there one that you're most excited about? If you had to pick any of those, is there a more exciting innovation part that Amazon's bring to the table that you think is going to just help Amazon sellers boom? A lot of talk around Amazon Live at the moment. You know, you think about the amount of people buying on Snapchat, Instagram, you know, it's a different experience than the Amazon platform. So they are definitely trying to drive that experience through the platform. And people are testing that at the moment. So, you know, many, it's not much success, but whoever nails that first, the first move is going to do really well. You know, and an early iteration of that more dynamic experience on advertising, you know, sponsor brand video ads are the ones that are getting the best returns now for most sellers across categories. So, um, I think, you know, broad brush advertising and engagement on the platform. You know, it used to be that you just had to have great image stack and A-plus content. And now you've got these more dynamic and engaging ads uh, widgets coming through. I think that's probably 
going to be where people are going to win in the future. Absolutely. And I, I, you, you talked about Amazon Live. I recently um, noticed when I was just shopping because I had, I had a buddy who was asking, hey, where did you find this product? And I, th this is something in a matter of like a week or two. I went back to the listing and I started to scroll on my mobile device. And then all of a sudden I found out that they had integrated Amazon Live content similar to a product that was similar to that yeah. within its own listing which I haven't seen before. I know that you can go to Amazon Live as a tab and then you can start to go almost like a QVC, yeah. like a channel. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are like, this feels like Home Shopping Network or QVC yeah. or anything like that, which I'm very familiar with. It does so, so well. QVC does this. QVC does massive numbers. And that's why a lot of people did it. When I was an e-commerce seller um, for our company, Evergreen Enterprises, when we were, we were selling 10,000 SKUs in a retail space. And this is something that I've always tried to figure out, like the buyer psychology of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to figure out why are people buying on certain markets where others you can do the same thing and it doesn't it doesn't make a blip. We we had ten thousand SKUs that you were like anywhere from gar home gift garden decor, but you would load the product into QVC and it would be like decorative pillows or it would be like garden flags and it would be licensed products for NCAA or MLB or things like that, QVC, you would have to send thousands upon thousands of units just as a minimum order, like almost like when you order from a manufacturer, they would have to have so many on hand, but they would just burn through sales like crazy, but you would have to offer lowest on market. You would have to have a deal that was almost like a lightning deal, which makes mm -hmm. sense. And then you would have a market who just has the buying capital to make those instantaneous purchases without doing any sort of research. You see it and you're like, oh, that's cool. Buy or call online. And so I think that's what Amazon in theory is trying to replicate for e-commerce shoppers is that same model of live. It's right there. You can integrate, oh, this is the deal right now that you can only get right now or it will disappear. And this is how you can do it. So it's an interactive model where I think once audience participation really takes foothold and you start living on it like a channel, I think that's dangerous, like you had said. But yeah, it's living right in natively in the product descriptions now, which I didn't had never seen before until now. Yeah. Are you guys yeah. seeing that on I your have, brands? I have, I have seen that. And, um, you know, Amazon have this lovely way of releasing these, these they beta test it in one little category. So you'll be completely oblivious to it if you're not in that category. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so special. I was like, I'm the only person seeing yeah. this right now in the entire ecosystem of Amazon. But that's not true, obviously. But it, it was so interesting. And then I think they're also announcing A-B testing images, correct? Where you can do yeah. product images where you're A-B testing? Yeah. What, yeah. And there's a, there's a video ad carousel now where they're helping people create video adverts as well. Um, so. I, I did see, yeah, I saw that too because it was it used to be for their um, uh, there's a startup program part of the Amazon. It's like Amazon Launchpad, yeah. and I was on with a colleague and partner of our Amazon experts, uh, David Dayon, and he said we just launched a product for this uh, for this uh, product, and he was showing me the swipe features of video through in the carousel. There's um, it, the UI for. Uh, question and answer was live and it was uh, an accordion style UI. And then also when you have lifestyle images where traditional EBC content uh, would live, you can actually, it would hover over the product within an image 
and it would pop up natively in it if you hovered over it and you can just go directly to different parts of that brand yeah. natively in it. And I thought that was amazing, but it's only for Launchpad because they give you, Amazon asks for a certain percentage of, more percentage of sales. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they're another five or 6%. So but that, that will undoubtedly get rolled out. You know, they tend, yeah, they, my observation is they'll test these things as a premium feature and then it'll go into beta in certain categories and then very quickly it'll get rolled out. So I'm sure, you know, that stuff's coming downstream. So you, so you as a seller, I'm going to go back a little bit. So you're doing lifestyle brands and it makes sense. Everyone, I always tell everyone gets started on .com and it makes sense. Um, lots of sellers are coming from around the world now. They're not just coming from the United States. Mm. Where, uh, is there any disconnect when it comes to, was there a disconnect from you as a seller from a different culture? Cause you're from Europe selling in .com. Was there always just like, I don't understand like my seller at all. And be, just because like the, I say, I think the United States is just this weird ecosystem of like buying power and we just need to buy things, but there's not a reason for it. What, what was kind of like your thoughts around the ecosystem when you were first selling? Uh, like US and UK is quite similar. I mean, look, we, we, okay. you know, like, we have like, we have like sweater and jumper, right? So we right. uh, <laughs> use quirky words or we use, we use an S where you guys have an S, a, a, Z, a Z. Um, right. you know, it's, I, I think culturally we're really different, but for, for the sake of it, for marketing, we're really similar in many ways. I don't, I don't think it's the same as, um, you know, UK people selling in Germany or vice versa. That's very different. You know, it's not just the language there's a different way of thinking and you know sammy who's my colleague in, in berlin you know we talk a lot around the, the the culture of buying an organization in germany the germans, the germans are very formal you know and what we go hey just send us your numbers they're like they wouldn't dare to share anything without a contract so right i think uk us is pretty easy but i think maybe other cultures may struggle a bit more going both ways right the us sellers come into europe i've got loads of buddies that struggled you know vat and tax and language and the culture of it you know i think for us sellers coming across to europe is harder than us uh, europe going across into us and the us so yeah i had um a couple people on the show and i asked the same question maybe i'll ask you why is it so difficult for us sellers to go into the uk why, why is there a perception that's so difficult a lot of people have tried to dispel the notion it's a couple pieces of paperwork um you know for vat reasons and that makes sense it's a scary tax but for all intents and purposes it's a sales tax and then not knowing if their products will translate over to the uk marketplace why is it so scary for us sellers to jump over there i think selling in the us is harder because it's more competitive okay it's the biggest market it's where people want to sell so succeeding in the us is probably harder than in europe but when you come across to europe you have to deal with more admin and if you're not used to vat it seems to freak people out. And like you said, you know, it's very simple. If, it, if you sell something a hundred bucks, 20% of that sales price, you, you know, you net 80. And I think, I think it's something that's just hardwired. If you're European, you understand it. And when we go to the US and everything's net of tax, we're like, this is cheap. And then you pay the bill. And it's like, Jesus, service and tax. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? I don't want to be charged for the food and the dining yeah, and yeah, have to yeah. sit. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. You order loads of food and get a pay and then have a product of life. So, you know, I just think these simple things we grow up with, we just find hard, some, hard sometimes find them hard to, to recalibrate because it isn't complicated. And there are really good service providers in Europe to help with VAT filing, and I'm sure you've had those, you know, these guys to speak on your show. So 
His yeah, his uh, David, who I was talking about, his ears are burning. Uh, VAT is definitely a big turnoff <laughs> for for sellers. So that's what that's why I think it's interesting. Like there has to be there has to be a course out there that exists of like a dumbed down VAT for me, so that you don't get scared away. Because this is my thought, uh, Jim, in terms of and again we have Jim and for everyone listening of Thrasio. He's director of acquisitions over at uh, in in the UK marketplace for. Thrasio, what what are your biggest uh, this is what i've been saying to people the biggest opportunities to sell and grow your rent to the next level are going to be uk germany and then japan those are naturally the biggest marketplaces by definition of volume of um not just revenue but then also for uh, site traffic why are people not looking at those places more seriously when it comes to, i would think of the three japan's the least one one that you look at the least, but when expanding internationally and you can almost 20%, 30% grow your revenue with those channels, why are people not doing that more? I, I don't know, because I agree. I, I think that the risk of launching a new product is probably greater than the risk of extending into marketplaces. So especially now that reviews travel across. So if you've got 5,000 reviews sat on an ASIN, you can just chuck that into Europe and bang, those reviews pour over. You okay. can come straight in in a, in a great position in Europe. So then you just have to worry about your translations, your images, maybe customer service. Um, it depends on the volume of customer service, but there are service providers for all of these things to help out. And I would argue that going into Europe is less risky than putting the same budget into launching new products right now because launching is getting harder and harder yeah i and i agree with you launching is is the most difficult uh part i would think of being successful on amazon because it's the earliest part of your almost one of the earlier parts to know if you're going to be successful or not mm -hmm. what are you how how are you launching products back in the day and then is that still a acceptable approach to uh launch products if you're allowed to share that, <laughs> uh, we don't want anyone to get in trouble here. But launch I'm, I'm curious. Launch yeah, tactics have evolved. Oh, sorry, not strategy tactics. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Launch tactics have evolved over time, along with the algorithm and, and what Amazon sees as acceptable. So, you know, I think uh, sophisticated sellers will always be pushing the boundaries, but staying on the right side of the line. It's like you know, because it's a bit like whack a mole with Amazon and. Um, I think as time goes by, the algorithm gets more conservative but more sophisticated at the same time, which means that you know what you know conversion is king. So if Amazon chucks you a scrap of meat, if you convert it regularly, they will see that as relevant to the scrap of meat or the keyword that's coming onto your listing. So if you can show Amazon that you're converting well against certain keywords, you will naturally rise up. There are ways of manipulating that, but I think there are it's increasingly risky to do that. So I, I think, in, you know, as the, as the platform matures and the algorithm gets more sophisticated, you just have to have very, you have to be very, very good at your core principles of creating compelling listings that convert without are gaming. You, are you, because um, the, the key things that I think that you would have to, to know that for launching a product, you have to have enough inventory. Is there a struggle that you're thinking that Amazon sellers are seeing because of limits in the U.S., or I, I would think like they're uh, the limits to the inventory they can have for per item. 
um, are a struggle for a lot of sellers. Are you guys seeing that on your end as well? Yeah, so, you know, last year and this year, it's, uh, it seems to be, hopefully, don't want to sort of curse it, but it appears that the inventory game might get better soon. But last year forced a lot of people to go sell a fulfilled prime because they just couldn't get inventory in. Um, you know, I, and Amazon does seem to be punishing people for larger products. You know, they, they, don't, they don't seem to, the algorithm does not seem to like, or the IPI does not seem to like larger products, which makes sense. Um, and the irony is that if you run out of inventory, you get punished because you're not managing inventory well. But right. Amazon will make it almost impossible with daily changes of what you can send in. And I, and I think that's probably why a lot of people have ended up having virtual breakdowns last year. And then that comes to people like us to sell their business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good for you guys, but bad for uh, every other seller. <laughs> we're living the same stress as well. And I guess we're, you know, we've got bigger teams and more and good ways of managing it but um you know it's tough for everybody yeah and, and that maybe makes uh my question about you know exiting a business what where are you seeing people uh what's their number one reason for exiting besides uh just getting a, a check from you guys and saying like hey that was my bit that was my biggest asset you guys now can run and operate it like good luck with it what do you think is the number one reason besides making you know, a good chunk of money that people are exiting their businesses more now than ever. Uh, I think I think most people who get to a seven to eight figure FBA business become frustrated with themselves because they see the future in the brand, but they see themselves as the bottleneck in their business. And so they've reached a junction. And that junction is scale a team which for some people is exciting, for other people it's frightening. Um, or take an exit, recapitalize, and be the entrepreneur that they were previously um, and start something new. And more often than not, we are finding that people are, they, they want to take some cash off the table, they want to de-risk their life, they want to be a, a solopreneur, they don't want to be running a big enterprise. And they just feel it's the right time to kind of take take a step aside and let someone else take on the business. Absolutely. So when you made that transition from to Thrasia, what was your biggest? Maybe I'll ask, I'll ask the tough question. What was your biggest uh, concern joining a company like a Thrasio? And then also, what was your biggest like excitement or your uh, what you got most excited about when uh, when you saw the opportunity with the company that was growing as quickly as this company? Yeah, so look, I worked on mine since 2006, so the idea of getting a proper job again was petrifying. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You're like, am I still good at this game? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all of my friends were like, "You're going to go and get an employment, like, proper employment thing," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go and do it." Um, but Thrasio is not like that. Um, we're a big company, and we're, near, we're nearly 700 people now. But the speed at which we're growing means that everybody has to be an entrepreneur because there's no rule book for what we're doing. We're making it up as we go. So. Um, Personally, I'm loving it because, you know, I, I speak to Ken in the States, I speak to Danny, and they're just like, go make it happen. That's that's where we're headed. Just just you make the path. And that suits me. That's what I've always done. Um, so it's been quite easy, but I had some big anxieties. So when I was working out what to do, and Thrasio was one of the things I had on my big piece of paper, I was like, well, proper job. What's that going to be like? But I'm loving it because it's it's not a proper job. It's, it's a bunch of crazy entrepreneurs just... Doing like growing at, at, at you know at, at, at this phenomenal rate, 
and it's still an ecosystem that I love, which is Amazon. So I'm talking to buddies. I, I just crossed. I'm still in the same ecosystem. I'm just in a right. different part of it, right? So I'm still doing exactly. my own story, which is talking and being around entrepreneurs. That sounds like, yeah, the best part of the job is like you get to look at successful entrepreneurs who are uh, trying to come at you with like their business proposals. Is it one of those things where you get uns a lot of unsolicited, like, hey, look how successful I am. And you, it's almost like a, almost like I would say a uh, an actor who's looking for their next great role, if that makes sense. Like I've always seen this Amazon space or the acquisition space as they're looking through this pile of screenplays that they're like, oh, I'm going to find the best one that's going to take and launch my brand to the next level. And then that's where like revenue comes in. So you get all this stack of screenplays and you have to look through what's crap and what's not. What percentage would you say? Oh, go ahead. Uh, it looks like you had something to say, so <laughs> I don't want like, to. Yeah, no, I wanted to check. I was understanding the questions. Are you finished? I thought you finished. And that oh, was yeah. So when you, sorry, let me translate this to Amazon business. Uh, when you're looking through all these different businesses, like a screenplays, one by one, you're saying what's good, what's not. What are the things you're looking for, first and foremost, that's going to, that speaks to you and that you want to move forward with? And then what are the things that, you know, Amazon sellers need to know so they can start lining up things a year out, 18 months out, so they can start to get to that point of, hey, when when Jim Mann looks at my business or he he's going to look at possibly partnering or buying my business, you know, I'm going to have everything lined up and then it's going to be successful. So I, I try to make a correlation, maybe it didn't land right, but uh, what, what are those things you're looking for in the perfect like business opportunity for, for a brand? Um, aside of, so there are two sides of it. One is the entrepreneur is ready to kind of move, move on and, and recapitalize. Um, we are looking for, it's quite simple. We're looking for brands, like I said earlier, that we feel that we can put unlimited cash flow and our team is 700 behind and really accelerate. We have some key metrics, right? So at the moment, private equity are very happy with our performance. So we can keep raising capital and we can keep doing what we're doing, but we have to deliver against that. So we have to deliver 20% EBITDA. So when we're looking a brand to acquire, we're looking for businesses that are delivering around about 20% EBITDA or sales discretionary earnings on their trailing 12 months. And if they're not, we need to see a clear path that when we take over the execution of the brand, we can get up to that point. Because we, if, if we start operating 10, 15% EBITDA, we, we start pulling the overall performance of the business down. So we're under a lot of pressure from private equity to keep delivering. So every, every time we acquire and we only offer about 10 to 20% businesses we look at, we have to we have to have a very very clear path to to accelerate both top line sales and profitability. Is there is there something that gets you there quicker? Typically, is it not selling internationally? Is it just like the one product or a couple of products that are successful? Is there is there one thing that you guys are like these these are easy boxes that are not checked and you're like hey that that would instantly grow my business ten percent or twenty percent I know it's not as simple but is it pretty clear from your end since you guys have done it so many times Yeah I mean again a lot of what we do is not complicated the execution is but the, the ideas are not so you know a million dollars across a thousand SKUs is a non-starter for us because the, the heavy lifting for for SEOing and PPC across a thousand SKUs is the same for a million dollars it would be for ten SKUs so revenue concentration is generally good. Um, if we can see that we can quickly go multi-marketplace, that's quick and easy. So you can accelerate and double the business very quickly doing that. We have a big um, direct consumer team now and retail teams. So we're taking brands back into retail. And we're, right. building, we're already running 20 direct consumer branded websites. 
and there's a big focus this year on our D2C capability. So, Amazing. So, so it's almost like going back to where e-commerce really started was, hey, like, so in, in that case, are you guys ever going to diversify away from not just like move entirely away from Amazon? Are you going to start selling in marketplaces like a, a Walmart, a Target, like a Rakuten, Mercado, like Mercado Libre? Like, are those marketplaces that you as a entity look at potentially growing your business even further? Yeah, right. We will do. Um, right now, we've got a head of China. So we're building acquisitions into China, which is really exciting. We've also got a general manager in Japan. So those are the two. So we're, we're, we're growing in Europe now, uh, Japan and, and, and China. That's that's Amazon focus. In yeah. the US and Europe, we are building out our DTC team. So we're going off Amazon direct to consumer and getting great results there. And what we're finding is a massive investment in DTC has a, has a huge halo on Amazon as well. Because as much as you can take people and do the awareness off Amazon, they still want prime one-click credit card saved. So a lot, when we when we invest off Amazon, it drives big brand uh, sales on Amazon. Absolutely. Uh, now, all the other marketplaces, we take on quite a few legacy uh, Walmarts and and uh, other other channels. We tend to maintain them rather than invest in them at the moment. Um, okay. And so what we're doing is we are learning from the legacy of other people, and then when the time is right, we'll we'll invest in those. But right now, we can't keep up with the growth that we're generating with the two. Too many ebbs and flows. There's too many zigs and zags, right? Yeah, you know, sometimes you know the, the the best performance is when you're really focused, and and we're very very focused. This year, there's a big focus on retail and direct to consumer, uh, global expansion into Europe, Japan, and. Uh, and uh, um, China. So I'm, I'm also assuming when you're talking about retail, you're talking about like wholesaling products to like retail stores. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or just, yeah, putting them on shelves so that people can consume them right. on or off Amazon. Okay. So the, beauty, the beauty we have now is we have a huge product catalog and some of these products are amazing resale ready products that the entrepreneur hasn't yet had the resources, time or skill. But when we then put those products together as a portfolio, then suddenly we have a very different a different conversation with retail buyers. So it's partly having the relationship with retail buyers, it's partly having the breadth and depth of SKUs that's really interesting to them to start to plug and play into their retail. Yeah. The stats, I think when I heard it, um, one of their director of marketing, I think um, her name is escaping my name, honestly, uh, but she had said when we did the math on the Seven Figure Seller Summit kickoff party on Sunday, we did the math and it was 14,000 products over the course of a hundred different brands. And we all thought about that were like per brand, per brand, that's 140 different products underneath. I mean, on average underneath each cat, each brand. And we just thought about that. And we're like, that is an amazing amount of like inventory you're dealing with, but also product selection. It's just an amazing marketplace potential for you guys to build out your own marketplace too. So are there things like that, that kind of like hit your brain and you're like, man, that'd be really cool. Like, it would be really cool if we just called it the Thrasium Marketplace, and then you can just buy all your products on our own brand new website. Do you know what? I, 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 Josh and Carlos, I would imagine, have all kinds of like crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> what, what they're very good at is execution. They're very good at um, you know hiring ahead of the curve. So they're always pushing hire before you need people, and you know it means that everything that comes in, like we have people from the ground to handle it. Did, I, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think I don't think there's a vision to, to do a marketplace. I think there is a vision to build a product um, 
laboratory through to execution engine that allows us, you know, and you've heard this, right? All the aggregators are using the same narrative, but I think they're excited about having enough critical mass to become a genuine brand creator and global player along alongside some of the old Procter and Gambles and Unilever people like that. That I think that's what's exciting them more than coming up with another marketplace. The world doesn't need another marketplace. So you're saying in that context, <clears throat> building out your own native brand to like say from concept to to yeah. to build it to yeah. growth. Yeah. Doing it, doing it, you know, better value, better connected to the consumer because it direct consumer. You know, the old model is massive brand development, then goes into marketplaces, distributors, then you might have to use retailers. And the whole thing's pretty expensive, it takes a lot of money, a lot of time before it hits the consumer. And then the consumer is so far down the line and so far away from the, the ideation that there's a huge disconnect. And the beauty now of e-commerce is that you can launch a product in months that might have taken four years previously. And you right. have contact with that consumer. So the data and the relationship you have with that consumer cannot be compared to the old model. So yeah. that's what excites, I think, you know, Josh and Carlson and those guys. So, you know, we're doing what we're doing now. But I think, you know, if we keep on this trajectory, we could, I say it's the royal way, you know, Thrasio could become much more than just this, this, uh, this, this what it is right now. Yeah, I've, I've personally always thought like with the data that you guys are seeing just within all of your brands and products that you can even build out your own technologies. What I mean by that is like software where, you know, other people can tap into or just make it on your own in-house software unit to kind of have insights on the space. Uh, that, that's why I keep thinking like if people grow big enough, is that a fear for any sort of like Amazon service provider that like... When businesses a get too big, is that is that a fear that other competitors should have, or it, it's just too big? Like the space is too big in general to for everyone to be able to play nicely, and like everyone can be successful at the same time. Yeah, look, I think you know the, the space is massive, so let Thrasio is doing really well, and long may that continue. But there's a lot, you know, it's a huge space, so we're, we're still looking at the dot in the ocean. Um, and then answering a question around software we have a big tech team of 70 odd people and that's partly kind of data science and partly building the technology to work out what to do with all that data so you know the bigger we get the more we get data driven and that third part of the question i think is is it a level playing field um i think as time passes and you get more big teams operating on amazon uh with data and breadth and depth of skill from creative to copy to marketing to ppc it's going to be harder and harder for your average solopreneur and a team of freelancers to compete. But I think we're a way off that because it's such a big marketplace. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I always jump ahead like 10 spaces. If you haven't heard, like I have, a, I have like where people can probably get to but how you get there is always, you know, time and money and effort. What, uh, before we wrap up, uh, at the end of the show, what, what Jim can you tell people who are potentially like a, in Amazon right now, they're just like, they're, they're successful, but they want to take it to the next level. Maybe from your selling days, what kept you going that helps get them, you know, hey, I'm doing the right thing. What do you tell aspiring sellers to hopefully take their business to a next level? Um, I listen to one voice. There's a lot of gurus out there trying to give you conflicting ideas. You know, find one person you believe in and follow their advice and don't get distracted by all the noise. Um, focus on the basics. Don't, don't, don't get gurus are trying to keep their, you know, there's a lot of content going out there with tactics and tactics don't build brands. Tactics build kind of, uh, 
you know, bar talk, if you know what I mean. Right, um, yeah. You know, focus on the basics. Focus really hard on the product selection. Once you know you've got the product, the right, you know, you can compete on price and if there's a gap that you can, you can, you can push on, focus on the basics, get your listing right, get your PPC right. And that's, you know, all of those, a lot of people spend so much time trying to do what's clever at the expense of what's basic, you know, getting the basics right. So product selection is what you live and die by, right? So 100% focus everything on making the product right. So you don't get product selection right, nothing else matters. And then when you've got the right product, just get the basics right and you've got half a chance of success. Amazing words. Yeah, I, I think it's a good place to leave it right there. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on today. I know you're super busy. You're just running operations over in a country. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> but here, I appreciate it's early here in the United States for certain parts of uh, the country. But yeah, I know you're running you're running full fledged ahead. Um, I appreciate your time. Obviously, I call people friend of the show after they hop on. So you're more than welcome to hop on anytime uh, that your schedule allows and kind of give your insights. It's been super valuable to know, like as a seller, and you made that transition over to like you even exited the game, like you said, in e-commerce, but came right back into now you're disrupting the Amazon space one brand at a time. So it's really cool what I, I think you guys are doing. I think there's a lot of great companies out there that are similar, but everyone's different. They have their own model, right? It, but you said it's simple. This is how you're successful and you have to do it at a grander scale with a lot more products and selections than just like one person doing it from their own home. So it's really great. Keep up the great work, and then um, we're looking forward to seeing more fantastic stuff from Thrasio moving forward. Thanks, Brian. It's been great, great seeing you. Thanks for today. Absol absolutely. Thank you so much, Jim. Uh, and then, again, everyone else, thank you so much for joining us here on Crossover Commerce. This was episode 50, I believe, 54 of our show. Um, again, if you're watching us live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, thank you so much. Go ahead and hit that like button below and share this with your audience so that you can share the great tips that Jim a man of Thrasio shared with us today. And then if you're also listening to this on YouTube uh, or excuse me, on Amazon music, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, or Google podcasts, make sure you go ahead and uh, subscribe to those channels and download those again, rate us on those platforms as well. We appreciate your time and effort again, tomorrow. We're going to be talking with, um, I'm looking at my list real quick, Yoni Missouri of Gatita. And we're going to talk about, uh, FBA reimbursements and increasing your Amazon profits. So that's definitely something that Gatita is actually helping Amazon sellers recoup lost profits in the space. So make sure that you go ahead and tune in again live tomorrow. Um, but for Jim, man, I am Ryan Kramer of Ping Pong Payments. We appreciate your time uh, spending with us here today on Crossover Commerce. Go ahead and tune in again for our next show, um, episode 55. Again, have a great day and be safe out there, everyone.